0: Good morning, gang. Welcome, grace and peace to all of you. It's good to be back. My wife and I were in Philadelphia last week uh, for my wife's grandmother's 90th birthday, which was awesome, but also the Ministry Training Academy that happened up at camp. We are excited for camp to get kicked off this summer. We love camp. I think we're the only couple that serves there. Uh, Without kids, I don't know, maybe. Um, we just love it that much. We've got, we don't even have kids yet. We're going to camp to be coordinators, so, or whatever we're called. What are we called? Coordinators? I don't know. Something. Um, but, uh, but good morning. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we're actually in a very exciting position as a church. We finished Philippians. Uh, our theme this year has been um, grace-driven transformation. And today we're actually going to kick off the summer campaign uh, for the Blue Ridge Church, and I'll get into that in just a moment. Um, But I do want to just say thanks to the church. I know we announced it on Wednesday, but um, we just want to say a great thank you to the church for the final collection of our special contribution, uh, which was 20 times our regular contribution at $40,000, and uh, it's just been incredible to see God's grace poured out on us. We collected uh, just about $45,000, so praise to to God for that, amen. we, we really wanted, you know, a part of, a part of our giving uh, is, is that it stays here to work with uh, domestic commissions here in Blue Ridge. But we also wanted to give to those who, who need it, especially in the third world. And so we're able to give about $5,000 now uh, to uh, churches in India. And it, it only takes about two dollars to $3,000 to fund a full-time ministry couple for a church in India. So we're able to do that almost two times over. For two churches, they're going to be able to have full-time staff. like They just work. They would have just lay leaders throughout the year. So we're going to try to stay in contact with however that money gets used in India. But it's really cool that we're able, our little small church is able to still give abroad. So praise to God for that. And thanks to you guys for your generosity and your sacrifice with special contribution. Uh, I know that today is Karen Flores' is last Sunday. Uh, it's very sad. We do want to just uh, say thanks to Karen. Uh, it, Karen was baptized, our, Jenny and I, our first year here, at the end of her, uh, our first year. And, uh, you know, Karen's been a huge part of the church, a huge part of the campus ministry. I think when she was um, studying the Bible in order to become a Christian, she kind of got stuck for a little bit on some things, some issues. And I think I remember uh, we sat up here and, and talked for a good while after a midweek one time just on kind of what's holding you back. Um, and I don't remember what we said, but um, I just remember kind of that moment of like Karen really, really getting it uh, and really becoming a strong disciple going off into the summer and how risky that is for someone to get baptized before the summer in the campus ministry. Crazy. She came back stronger. She came back uh, excited to serve God. And now we get a chance to once again, not just serve, send money to India, but to send one of our very best disciples, uh, one of our greatest gifts to the church in Perth, uh, which is the most isolated church in the world. Um, and so, you know, we're an hour from Richmond. They're a five-hour plane ride from the nearest church. So we get a chance to give and strengthen uh, to the church in Perth. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I had a friend who uh, would challenge us and say to name any movie, and then uh, he would, within he called it Four Degrees of Separation with, uh, with Bruce Willis. And he could, within four movies, connect that movie to Bruce Willis. And he was incredible. I think he was a genius or something. But he always, he always did it. And I feel like uh, this might be a... a, a bold statement, but I feel like every church in the world has like five degrees of separation from Blue Ridge somehow, because Karen's actually going to Perth, which is a church led by the Camerons, and the Camerons led the JMU campus ministry here. Uh, I don't know, was it 10 years ago or maybe longer? I don't know. I wasn't here. But so they led James Madison, so how cool is that? That Karen's going to a place. They got some JMU-Dukes connections, uh, which is pretty awesome there in Australia. Uh, so, amen. We'll hop over in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Um, I didn't coordinate with Stephen and Karen, but they did a good job with a prologue today of setting us up uh, with 2 Corinthians. Um, there we go. I'm really excited about this campaign uh, for the summer. And uh, we get a chance to take a step back and look at... Uh, usually we preach... Uh, through a book of the Bible. That's called exegetical preaching for the most part, where you just pick a book of the Bible and you preach through it. We did that with Philippians. But now we're going to actually spend the summer looking topically, uh, which is not what we usually do. Um, Maybe other churches do it a lot more. But we're actually going to look at the topic uh, of what it means to be compelled, what it means to be compelled to live for Christ. Uh, And so actually right now, Jared, if you and Josh want to hand out those Um, Sheets That would be great. Uh, One per family. There's also invitations on the back podium. Um, And so everyone, please take a few of those um, to be able to, uh, for for evangelism purposes. But there are some compelled invitations in the back. And these guys will hand out the plan for the the summer. Uh, These, um, we went ahead and printed them uh, on one grade up from the normal stock of paper because they're just that important. Um, And so... If that's not obvious to you, if we can't convey importance to you through that, I have no, no idea how we would. So please take care of this paper. If you know that you got butter fingers, maybe you could snap a photo of it. But this, this uh, will be kind of our anchor throughout the summer. And it's going to be, there's questions on it. And we'll talk more about it this Wednesday. I don't want to get bogged into it now, but hold on to it, snap a photo of it. This will be kind of our consistent anchor, our baseline for the whole summer as we go through these different topics of what it indeed means to be compelled. Uh, And so if you can take one per family, we'll have a few extras there for folks uh, that that did not get one, that are not here, and then the children's ministry workers as well um, to be able to, to dive into this. Uh, So amen. Everyone got one good deal. Now that you have it, put that jank away. Jank is a slang term, meaning that thing. So put it, go ahead and put it away. I used to be a teacher. And one of the rules as a teacher is you don't give the handout Before your lesson. Because they just stare at the handout the whole time. So you got to put it away. You know, put it away. And so you don't get distracted. Um, Thank you. I learned a lot teaching 7th graders. More than maybe I thought I would need to use. For a life in full time ministry. Um, As we talk about. What it means to be compelled. Jenny and I were really wrestling along with the leaders of the church. With what would really help us. And, you know, we're, we're a kind of a unique city, if you didn't know. Charlottesville is a very unique place. We're a unique church. All churches are unique. I think we are very unique. Uh, we're, we're, we're smaller. Um, and so Charlottesville is a very you know, unique sort of place. And so as we think, you know, what, we, what really would help us? And I think our strengths as a church is we serve. We have great friendships. I think we're, we're connected. Um, we, we love spending time together for the most part, I think. Um, and uh, we have a blast together. Um, we we share our faith. uh, And so the church has a lot of great strength. But something we thought really would be helpful is for us to actually go deeper and for us to really go after what it means to be mature in the faith. Uh, And so if you look at a few scriptures in the Bible that are helpful in this regard, you know, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 13, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. My coach used to say, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Okay, so he got that from Jesus. All right. So it's not how you start. It's how you finish. It does not matter if you got baptized. It matters if you die finishing the race. Okay? if you actually finish the race. And so we want to make sure that people are not deceived by this. Jesus did a great job of never underestimating Satan and what he was capable of. And so Satan will try to attack us and get us to to waver. To believe lies. He's going to try to steal our joy. He's going to try to steal our faith. He's going to try to make us insecure, but we got to stand firm to the end. Amen. We got to hang on. That's tough. A lot of people start. It's how you finish. And so how do we actually make it to the end? That's the question. How does one actually last to the end? Okay. I've only, I've been a Christian now. Actually, uh, I'm 29. I've been a Christian for 15 years. I was a non-Christian for 14 years. i have actually been a Christian longer than I was a non-Christian. Uh, but I still feel like, man, I, I'm just starting. I'm just starting here. Maybe God will take me soon. I don't know. I'm okay with that. Um, but it's okay if he wants to take me. Um, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to leave Jenny. Ideally, he takes both of us. And we both could be there together. And be in heaven. But if I want to go to heaven, I, I, I want to do it for God. If I stay here, it is, it is for you. Okay, Amen. Therefore, we must progress beyond the elementary instructions. Elementary, my dear Blue Ridge, okay? About Christ and move on to maturity. So in the book of Hebrews, the author talks about we got to progress. We got to move on. You're still drinking the milk. We got steaks over there in the corner, but your GI can't handle it yet. You got to develop a little bit. You got to be able to develop. And I can't go into a digestion metaphor too deeply. Um, But... (laughs) we got to be able to handle the, te- the deeper teachings of the Bible. we got to go deeper. And as Jared was talking about, you know, Jared was saying, listen, he's like, I was going to church, but I had to go deeper. I was surrounded by the, I had basics, but I had to go deeper. And change makes us go deeper. Because if we're going to make it to the end, we've got to have a root. We've had enough storms recently to realize, man, the trees that are still here are here because they probably have deep roots. Uh, and they, 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 they go deep. They don't have to worry about the weather because of the depth of their... We talk about convictions, but really we want... And this is all going to be summed up in one word, which is the word why. So this summer is going to be... Last summer was the summer of love. This is the summer of why. All right? Why are we doing what we are doing? Why? Why are you here right now? Can you answer that? Why do you talk to people about coming to church? Why do you... Uh, uh, forgive why do you read your Bible but why what is your bedrock conviction what is your purpose because if you can find that purpose then that will have implications on your actions and it won't be so dependent on the outer appearances and so the theme for this summer as we've already talked about is compelled and so Compelled, 2 Corinthians 5.14, my very favorite book of the Bible, my favorite chapter of the Bible. We are, I'm going to be in Candyland all summer. It is going to be awesome. I love 2 Corinthians. I could, I've reread the first six chapters like four times recently. It is just, it is tasty. It is beautiful. I love it. Uh, and so, Compelled, 2 Corinthians 5.14, this is where we're going to be today. So hop over there. Like I said, Stephen and Karen gave us a little bit of a preamble. Which is awesome. And we'll pick up in 2 Corinthians 5, actually verse 11, to give us a little context of what in the world is going on here. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Since then we know... Actually, let's go to verse 9. Verse 9. So we make it our goal to please Him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, Paul actually, uh, the word judgment seat there is a literal word. It means it's Bema. A Bema is a big platform. Uh, I'm actually going to show a picture. We actually saw the one in Corinth uh, last year. It's a big platform where the proconsul or the ruler or the governor gets up and he makes judgment on you. And so you have, there's a stump there, and you're tied to it. They've, there's irons in there where you're tied. This is where Paul was actually tied in Acts 18 when he faces uh, Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia. Okay? And he actually is brought there. And so when Paul says, I've been beaten with rods, and this is actually where they would beat you. But you have to be brought before, and you're tied, you, and you got nothing on You're just there. You're at the, the, uh, the will of the, the governor. Okay? And so he's saying, listen, we all got to be brought before the Bema the judgment seat but not of the proconsul not of the governor of Jesus Christ for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body whether good or bad yikes that doesn't necessarily inspire confidence in me i got to receive what's coming my way for what i've done good and bad Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. not counting people's sins against them. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's incredible. That's beautiful. And so when Paul talks about, he's actually going on into what should be our motivation. And he says something incredible. It, it blew my mind. He goes, if I'm out of my mind, apparently people who were opposing Paul were uh, making fun of him or putting him down because he would often look like he was losing his mind. Like he was so ecstatic and excited and preached like probably like I am like, man, that dude's just crazy. He's out of his mind. So Paul says, if I'm out of my mind, okay, it's for God. But if I'm in my right mind, I'm controlling myself, it's for you. Basically, Paul's saying, whether I'm doing one or the other, I'm either serving God or serving others. That's amazing. Do you do that? Can you encapsulate your week last week as either serving God or serving others? That's amazing. I I was blown away by that. How is it that Paul is able to say that? How was he able to say that? How was he able to live like that? Well, he says two things, and we're going to talk about those two things today. You know, a lot of us in our walk with God, it's a lot like limping through a labyrinth. You know, It's a lot like wandering through a maze. Uh, we we kind of don't really know why or what we're doing spiritually until we're encroached with the decision. And we don't necessarily, I remember having to really... Uh, be trained and grow and actually like thinking ahead and intentionality, right? And planning, but even having reasons why. And my parents, I've always talked about this. But my parents did a great job of this. When I went and saw John Q when I was 13, you know, and came home and my mom said, why did you see that movie? And I said, well, I'm 13. It's PG-13. The math works out. Um, and she was like, but why did you see it? And I was like, well, because I wanted to. She said, was it, was it beneficial? And so even from the beginning, my mom was always very good at helping me. Why? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Why? Did it glorify God? Was it a goodness? Why did you do it? Because your friends wanted to see it. She was getting to my heart. And I was 13. And I, I still remember that. I remember sitting on the, the, the bar stool of my home dying to get away because I was so uncomfortable with the conversation. But when I, it was one I remember because it, it made me go deeper and I wasn't used to going deeper. And I wasn't, we just become uh, uh, slaves, right, to our emotions if we don't go deeper. We've got to go deeper. And it doesn't mean you're, perf- you're perfect in understanding your heart. We'll never be perfect. We have, we have the rest of our lives to still figure this stuff out. But it means we've got to go make that effort or Satan will enslave us in ways that we don't even know how. And so a lot of us, we can just live this out. We don't, we don't, we're not really anchored by anything. Uh, it it changes. Maybe some months work is a little easier, so we do a lot better spiritually. Maybe some months the kids are really rough, so we do worse spiritually. Maybe some months, and so we're just kind of, uh, you know, we're tethered to our life's circumstances. School, oh, summer's coming? Okay, I'll do better spiritually. But once fall comes, that brother's gone. Because you know what really matters to him? School. And so, is this us? You know, is it like, if the kids are good, you're good, or and we can kind of just wander through the maze. I hope I make it. I hope I get there. Uh, and we just, we're wandering. And Satan gets us to drift. And the Corinthian problem is that, as you can see, if you, if you listen closely to what Stephen read and what I've read, is that they were very obsessed with outward appearance. Paul says, listen, what is seen? You care about what is seen? Well, congrats, because that is going away quick. That is going to fade. It's going to decay. It's going to put on some weight. It is not going to be good. Okay, it's going to it's going to decay. It will be nothing. You want to put your hope in? You want to put your hope in what is seen? Fine, but actually, you know what's eternal? What is unseen? They, the, the Corinthians weren't going deeper. They were obsessed with the appearance, and so Paul's trying to help them by getting to the bedrock of their motivation. Why? What is this for? And Paul gives us two great reasons here. Two great reasons on what in the world is our bedrock, or how can we actually be like Paul in this manner? To live a life that's serving others and live a life that's serving God. Because it sounds difficult to me. We read that, okay. Why do we live the way we do? We've got to move on to maturity and stay strong till the end, we've got to get to the heart. And the first step, Paul says in verse 11, Therefore, since we know what it is to fear the Lord. How's your fear of the Lord been recently? We don't like talking about fear. Because I think, we think it's like terror or horror or like a cringe word. You know, we're we're cringing before God. That is not the kind of fear we're talking about. That kind of fear is reserved for the ungodly and for the non-Christian. You are right to be terrorized by God if you are a non-disciple. That, that's, that's coming your way. okay. If you have chosen to die to your former way of life, you should still fear God, but not terror, not horror, but an awe-filled respect. You should be overwhelmed by Him. You know, we got to, a lot of times, I think today in the world, we talk, a lot of um, evangelical churches do a really good job of talking about the sentimentality of God. Like, he loves you and, and you're, you're loved by him. And, but how about the fear of God? Do you respect him? I think that's the, more the problem a lot of these days is that, oh, I love God and he loves me. But do you respect him? Do you respect your boss more? Then you respect God. Are you more sensitive to how you talk to your boss than you do to the brothers and sisters? Are you more on time at work than you are at church? Are you more respectful of your teachers? More respectful of your friends? Do we respect him? And like anybody in this room, when you are disrespected, you're going down a uh, uh, marital fight uh, alley. I don't know, what's it called? Marital fight boulevard. You know, and so whenever you talk to a couple and they got into a fight, usually it's, I didn't feel loved or I didn't feel respected. You disrespected me. And especially by someone who's supposed to be, you know, close to you. It hurts even more, you know, if Jenny in front of people were to disrespect me, that would hurt way more than any of you guys doing it because she's close to me. And so disrespect matters. Do you respect God? Do you see him? This is a picture of the sun. Do you know, we respect the sun. You want to stare at the sun on a clear day? Go right ahead. Go right ahead. We're going to start respecting him real soon. About six seconds in maybe. I don't know what the record is, but don't go too long. Do you respect God? Because Paul says, I fear the Lord. But you know what? I trust his character, so we don't have to be afraid of him. We trust his character, but we still have to respect him. It's, awe, it's an awe-filled respect that we've got to be aware of. You know, sometimes uh, even watching these NBA finals, you know, I'm not a big uh, LeBron James fan, but when he plays, man, I'm afraid sometimes. He'll like, he looks, I'm like scared of like what he's going to do because he's powerful and dominant. And if he makes you look bad, he'll probably stare at you with that face and stick his jaw out. I'm scared of that guy, man. Well, you know, what it, it's like it's, it, it, there's anything that demands respect, is powerful, is dominant. We obviously respect hurricanes, right? We respect tornadoes. They have a power. They have an influence that we've got to be aware of. And I think it's, I didn't want to gloss over this part. This is not necessarily what the sermon's about, but we can't gloss over the respect for the Lord. Do you want to honor him? Do you respect him? Do you want to respect and honor him in the way you dress? Do you want to respect and honor him in the way you speak and what you do? Because that goes a long way. And we have to be able to begin with that. And you know why, the, you know why we have to be afraid? is because we're, Paul says it. You're going to be judged for what you've done. You're going before the Bema. Right? You're going before the judgment seat. And this is what that looks like. There's Mark Balsh. Mark here. No, he's not here. There's Mark. Next to Mark is the post where they tie you. And to the right is the Bema. This is a better perspective. Looking up at the Agro-Corinth. Um, And so here is where Paul would have been tied, and there's the bema, which just means step. And it's where he would have been judged. And Paul says, listen, we've all got to be judged for what we've done, good and bad. We've talked about this plenty of times. But when someone breaks the law, there has to be consequences. There are always consequences. If someone wrecks the car, there are consequences. The question is, who will pay them? Who will pay for those consequences? And I don't know about you, but if I'm stuck to that thing, I'm not super excited. I'm nervous. What's he going to challenge me on? What's he going to expose? Those things in my life that I'm afraid of, the weaknesses, the, uh, the, the failures of my life, the embarrassing things that cause me to shudder. These are the things, you know, Jesus is the judge. And the first step is to fear the judge, is to respect the judge. We've got to, or otherwise it's just sentimentality. Because you'll just go on sinning. It'll, sin will be, or, or rather grace will be a credit card to you. Oh, I sinned, but good thing God loves me. Oh, I messed up. Good thing God has given me this grace, which is my free pass. Respect has to be there in beautiful balance with the love. Okay, We, we have to be able to see God for who he is. The best thing I can do for this is usually to get in nature or to sing a hymn. Those things increase my awe, increase my fear, increase my respect, and I, get, I feel overwhelmed by God. And that actually gets me in a place. When you're overwhelmed, it's really easy to be humble. <laughs> when you see a mountain range, you go, oh, man, okay. When you sing How Great Thou Art in front of the mountain range, you're like, oh, my goodness. Okay, my stuff's not so big. I've got I to be humble. Instead of trying to challenge God and dictate Him, i got to let Him influence me. He's, he's as powerful, way more powerful than the governor, but He's as powerful as the sun. And so, like the sun, the word here for Christ's love compels us in verse 14. The word compels uh, has to do with uh, being held on to. Uh, ESV says controls. Christ's love controls us. Um, NEB says constrains. Christ's love constrains us. This word's not used very much by Paul. It's used one other time to talk about how he, he's just stuck. And the idea is, is that in the same way that... Uh, The sun keeps the earth in orbit, right? The sun has to have a a huge amount of mass to have a gravitational pull so that the earth can stay in orbit. Now, a lot of you guys know that's why we stay. That's why we are actually here now because of gravity. We're being pulled to the center of the earth, but the earth's being pulled toward the sun. And it's actually the sun that holds the entire universe together because of his mass. Or, I mean, the sun's not a guy. Maybe her mass, I don't know. Um... (laughs) But it's, its mass, okay, their mass, uh, you know, uh, holds the sun within or holds the earth within orbit. And so because of the power and the mass and the, the draw of the sun, all of the planets are able to orbit around it uh, and not the other way around. Notice that the struggle for all of us is to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died. That's what Paul says, right? Why did Christ die? Well, because he he actually loved us so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him. To no longer think that the earth is the center of the universe, but to actually realize the way it truly is. The sun is the center of the universe, and that changes everything. And that without the sun, we'd all be lost. We'd all be done. And that the earth doesn't have to actually do very much to stay in orbit. Really just... Hang in there, Earth. You know, just don't do anything crazy, Earth. Just kind of let the sun do his thing, and you'll be fine. You're going to surround him. You're going to orbit him. And and that's actually the center that draws you always back to what the real purpose is and what the, the most important thing in the universe is, which is the sun. And so as Paul talks about fearing the Lord for the first step, the second step is compelled by the love of Christ. The title of my sermon today is Soaring Around the Sun. Soaring around the sun, S O N for the people on the podcast. Soaring around the sun, the first step is to be able to fear the Lord. Um, John Edwards, uh, Jonathan Edwards has a great quote in his book "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God," which is a great book. Um, it'll definitely make you feel things. Um, and John Edwards says about the judgment of the Lord your wickedness makes you as heavy as lead and to tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf and your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence And your best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. He says, You are, without God, you are you're sprinting toward hell. You're being pulled toward hell. And you could do all these things. You could be healthy, good looking, you could have money, you could be funny, you could be successful, you could be religious. But you can't stop yourself from going toward hell because we, can't, we don't have enough power to do it. Without the sun, the earth is, is done. The other planets have no choice. God has to be crucial. He has to be an important factor in this, which is why it's important that we realize that our salvation is by no means initiated by us. God takes the first step. Fear the Lord. Point number one. Point number two, be compelled by the love of Christ. Christ is not just the perfect judge, but he's the perfect Savior. And Paul understood this a little too well, I think. Uh, for those that know Philippians 3.6, Paul says, For those of you that have a reason to brag, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin, before the Torah, blameless." Paul says before Paul encounters Jesus in Acts 9, Paul says that he was good. And it wasn't like he was guilty and looking for a new religion. No, he actually thought that he was serving God. He actually thought that he had made it. And Paul later says in the book of Corinthians, just because my conscience is clear doesn't mean I'm not guilty. Paul truly believed that he was good. And not because of him, but because of God. He really believed he was serving God. He re- and you know what he says what motivated him? His zeal. Zeal just means jealousy for the Lord. It means, all right, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to be the biggest. I'm going to be the most dedicated to the Torah, to the Old Testament. I'm going to know it. I'm going to do it. And then Paul, on the road to Damascus, here's that voice. Remember that voice? Paul... I guess Saul actually. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul realizes that not only was this Jesus guy um, killed for the wrong reasons, that he was glorified. That he was actually, you know, in the same way God says to the apostles, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Paul, can you imagine how you would feel? If you believe that your whole worldview was based on that you are serving God and you are doing the right thing, everything that you're doing, you believe with all your heart is right. And then in 30 seconds it is flipped upside down. You realize that you've been killing the, the same God you've been trying to serve. And it's not like Paul was some crazy, you know, outward hedonistic sinner. Paul was a religious leader, but it took him to really meet Jesus. And Paul had to really encounter the death of Christ and what that truly means. And so let us take stock right now, church, that nothing, nothing in our performance is going to bring us closer to that Son. Nothing in our abilities, nothing in our track record. And I got to say it over and over again, I think it's such a big part of us, and it kills us, it kills our faith. But we have to realize that we didn't become disciples. Jesus saved us. Jesus reached out to us. Jesus put that friend in your life who was annoying over and over and over again, asking you to study the Bible. Jesus put you in Charlottesville or Dallas or Seattle or New York. Jesus, from the beginning of time, has set you up, giving you the boundaries of your habitation, hoping that you reach out for him and find him, hoping that you would actually follow him. It was Jesus who did it. And Jesus has to, it has to shift because even though Paul was religious... Even though Paul believed he was serving God, he had done something extremely scary. He had deceived himself. That is... deception's one thing. self deceptions another. One thing to deceive and know you're doing it. One thing is, I don't even know. I think I'm right. Paul did not know it, but he was the center of his own universe. And it took Jesus to intrude, to interrupt his life, to help him see... This is all about, it's all about him. It's not about me. I get to serve him. I get to live for him. But first he had to die to his former way of life. You know, Christ is not just the perfect judge, but the perfect savior. The amazing thing about Jesus is that he gave his life up voluntarily. Uh, When's the last time any of you guys volunteered for something? When you volunteer for something, it's different, right? Right? A lot of times when we obey, it's after a lot of nudging. We, we're, we get nudged a lot. Or, let me help this brother out. Or, let me help, we've got to talk. It's like six or seven brothers or sisters got to help us. Obedience for us is high friction a lot of the time. It is. Of like, oh, you're, you know, I really don't say anything that different every Sunday and Wednesday. It's pretty much just reminding us to, <laughs> to read your Bible, pray, forgive, love Jesus, be grateful. I mean, it, pretty simple stuff. But we need that reminder because we get into this perspective. We humanize what happened at at Calvary. And if we cannot really uh, see what Jesus' death truly meant, our lives, our Christian lives, uh, will be the, the limping in the labyrinth. We won't be able to soar. We won't be able to live every moment for Jesus. How crazy does that sound, by the way? Every moment for Jesus. Peter says... Every word should come as if you're speaking to the Lord. How can Peter do that? How can Paul say, I'm either serving you or serving God. Every second, I'm doing it for you or God. I'm completely selfless. And that's what the heart of Paul's gospel is. Is that you go from being self-focused to God-focused. Self-focused to others-focused. And that is the true gospel. And that is the struggle right now as you're sitting there. There's a lot of things going on in your heart. There's a churning going on. And this is the whole. This is transformation. This is the goal for the rest of your life. That you do not give up on this, and then it's not actually go do more. Stop thinking that. Don't think that. Get out of here, Satan. I gotta go do more. Drew said, I gotta go do more. No, no. You gotta figure out who the sun is. Embrace the sun with your head and your heart, and you're fine. You the earth doesn't have to be like. Dang it! Now I gotta. I gotta stay in orbit. Man. You know, all this Earth has to do is just know who's the sun. <laughs> don't try to become the sun, Earth. It ain't gonna work. Not enough mass. I don't have enough physics in my, in my memory bank to do any sort of physics metaphors. I get some of the science guys to help me out with that in the future. I do a lot of research for this. It's like, what keeps the planet in orbit? Um, soaring around the sun. You know, Paul's understanding of the death of Jesus was the bedrock of his motivation. That he was indeed the object of Christ's love. The second thing we've got to understand about being compelled by Christ's love is that it's incredibly personal. Go to Galatians 2.20. You can sense in Paul that this is all very personal. I love this verse because Paul, he does something that he doesn't normally do. He deviates from the first person plural. What does that mean? Everything Paul writes is we, us, we, us, all of us, we, us, we, us. Because community is important. But he deviates here. And this is one of the first books Paul writes, Galatians. It might be the first book he wrote. I believe it probably is. The first book he writes. And as Paul gets excited, something comes out. Notice it, if you will. Let's read together. Notice what comes out in this verse, in verse 20 of Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ and i no longer live but christ lives in me the life i live the life i now live in the body i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me i do not set aside the grace of god for if righteousness could be gained through the law christ died for nothing how beautiful is this let me ask you this, church. Do you believe that Christ died for you? Uh, you gotta say, It's like, you know, BB's on a tank, right? I know. he. Did. No, do you really know that Christ died for you? For your arrogance. For your pride. For every time you undressed for a boy or girl. Every time that you were addicted to pornography. Every time you dressed up a confession to look better. Every time you looked down on somebody else because of how much money they made. Or because of the way they looked. Or because of where they came from. Or because of the color of their skin. Every time that your heart was filled with this disgusting, nasty, horrifying sin, Christ still decided to die for you. And he did it voluntarily. He voluntarily died. For you. And if nobody else in the world would follow him, but you did, Christ died for you. And if you drag your feet and don't really want to follow him... Christ died for you. If you become a disciple and struggle with a lot of different stubborn sins and don't know what to do, Christ died for you. If you are discouraged and want to give up because you feel like your performance is not up to snub, remember Christ, that he died for you. This drove Paul to do everything he did. He had to have a good understanding of what happened there at the skull of Uh, or the place of the skull at Golgotha where Jesus was crucified. He had to understand it. I love something that, um, you know, Piper once said. Piper said, it's not just about our hearts embracing the truth or our minds embracing the truth. It's about our hearts embracing the truth. The problem is, is a lot of times our hearts don't really believe that. And it's not until our hearts embrace the cross do we really get to live for him. I don't know about you, but I want to soar around the sun. I'm tired of this limping in the labyrinth. I'm tired of wandering through the maze. I'm tired of, I got to do what? Oh, I don't want to do it. i try tried doing that. I give up. I always serve that person. I always serve God. And what's He sent me? We have these feelings. We have them in our heart. And we wander and we get discouraged. And we live in a world that, that lies to us every day about what it means to really live. We have to never give up staring at, at, at Calvary, we have to soar around the sun. And the beautiful thing is, is you'll do things you never even imagine that you'd do. That's the beauty of the heart of the gospel, is that you'll actually want to do things that you never wanted to before. Actually want to sing. When I was a teenager, I, I didn't sing. I sat over there in the teens and I just mouthed the words watermelon. Oh, sorry, don't do that. Um my life is a cautionary tale, not one to be followed perhaps at that point. Steer away from this. But I'm here singing. You probably heard me. You're like, this guy needs to lower his voice. He's bellowing. The teams are like, he's bellowing again. But I love it. I love singing. And I've heard these songs probably 411,000 times. Like, I love singing. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? And we could go on and on and on. And, on. and I love my life. I'm so grateful. And I probably don't talk about it enough. But I love, and I'm so grateful for what God's done for me. We were praying on the way here this morning, and I was just thinking, man, I, when I was a kid, I used to stress. i will lose sleep. Like, man, I'm I going to get married. Am I going to have an awesome wife? Am I going to have a family? Am I going to be able to... I really want, I wanted so bad to be in the full-time ministry as a kid. Not always perfect motivation, but I still wanted it. And I thought, man, am I going to be able to do that? Or is it going to be enough? Am I, going to, am I going to be able to live a life that's fun? Am I going to... Man, this is the greatest purpose I could ever imagine for my life. I'm 29 years old, and I'm in the fight. Now, there's difficult things that happen. I, I'm, like, grateful that God saved Jenny for me. I'm grateful that God saved you for us. I was praying. We were praying. God, thanks for Charlottesville. Thanks for the people you put in our lives. Thanks for them as they fight every day for the gospel. Thanks for them and just putting them here with us. And I'm grateful for that. And I was thinking, man, we can get so sucked into the lie. The lie like I don't have what I need. I don't have enough. I got to move. I got to get more money. I got to date somebody else. I got to get a divorce. I, gotta, I need more stuff to be happy. It's because you've seen a billion commercials that tell you you don't have enough. You've heard a thousand songs that say if you just had this girl or that guy, you'd be happier. or go to that school. You'll make it, but it is all a lie. And you cannot put your treasure in what is seen. You've got to put it in what is unseen. Yeah. We've got to put our treasures in what is eternal church. And being grateful is just a reminder of, man, God's delivered. And if all that weren't the case, God considered me enough to give his son up for. Yeah. That's enough. That's enough to motivate right there. So much into what we do and how we live. This is no sentimental thing, church. This is an expression of total sacrifice and substitution. You know, this is personal. For Paul, it was personal. And for you, it's got to be personal. Or otherwise, it'll just be, yeah, so what? Yeah, I go to church. Year will go by. Year after year, decade will go by. And nothing will change. You've got to be able to see the love and feel the love of Christ and the rest of your life is, is, is all good. You'll be fine. That's the beauty of it. That is truly good news, isn't it? Isn't it good news? And verse 21 says this. God made him who didn't know sin, who knew no sin, to be sin for you so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. Well, what's that mean? God made Jesus sin? Or No, no, no. God made Jesus who didn't have sin to take the punishment of sin. The punishment of sin is full wrath from God. It's full darkness. It's to the depths of hell. Jesus took that for you. Imagine this is a contractual agreement. Jesus is going to go down to the depths of hell for you. So what do you have to do? What do you get? You get forgiveness of sins. What? You get forgiven. To become the righteousness of God is just the opposite of condemnation. That is grace. And that is motivating. It is not like other religions that say, do this, do that, punish this, punish that, adhere to this, adhere to that. Paul says, I was the best at adhering to a book. I was blameless. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews and it achieved me nothing. Jesus is bold enough to say, no, the embrace doesn't come after you do all these things. The embrace comes first. That Jesus loves you and he trusts that that love will launch you into the rest of your life. That you will soar because that love propels you. It soars you. It motivates you. It allows you to fly. And people will say, what are you doing? What's your secret? Do you do 10 minutes of mindfulness every morning? What's your secret? Is it a diet? Is it no grains? What's your secret? Is it the ACAC yoga class? What's your secret? Man, Christ's love compels me. Because I'm convinced that he died. And if he died, he died so that those who live for themselves, should no longer do that, but to live for him who was raised again. And I'm just compelled by the Christ of love. You're compelled. By, but why? Why is it? Why is it so incredible? Because God made Jesus, who didn't sin, didn't deserve to die, to become the punishment of sin for me so that in him I could be forgiven. I could become the righteousness of God. In two verses, you have probably the most pregnant, the most filled passages in the entire New Testament of what it means to follow Jesus. Verse 14 and verse 21. Between these two verses it's beautiful. You have exactly all you need. And doesn't that just make you want to do more for him? You're telling me I don't have to share my faith with 10 people this week? You know, it's amazing when you don't have that that push, that limit. It's amazing how many people you do talk to. How many people you actually do live for. I'm going to wrap up. 1204, okay. The word for compelled, we talked about it before, but the word for compelled means to be held in one's grip, but I love it, an alternate translation. It's the word um, but The word compelled basically means to be left no choice. I love that. When you see Jesus, really? Man, I got no choice. I remember sitting down and studying the cross out in a Bible study as a seeker, and I remember thinking, well. What choice do I have now? Right, yeah. right. I can't turn away from this. Yeah. This is incredible. This is awesome. Yeah. It's like the Matrix. You can go back, but it's going to stink. It's going to be black and white. That movie's too old. You should go watch the movie. And it's in the movie Neo. Never mind. So, I'm <laughs> oh God, I was left no choice. Are you kidding? I'm overwhelmed with this expression of love, this sacrifice, this substitution. Jesus did what for me? And he knows what I did yesterday. He knows what I'm going to do. I'm in. in. Uh, A friend of mine, Adi Monday, says, you know, when someone gets baptized, they turn themselves in. Turn yourself in. I got no choice. Of course I want to live for Jesus. What's also beautiful about the word compelled is it's a positive force. It's not a negative force. Negative force says Jesus died for you so that you can stop being so sinful. No. Jesus died for you so that you can live for him. He died so that you could live. This is not a life of restraint or don't do it or we're just kind of hoping that life ends so we can you know go to heaven. Like I just kind of said earlier, you know, uh, you know, life is awesome while we're here while we get to experience this life. It's incredible because we get to live for Jesus. You know, I'm so 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 grateful about my parents and the legacy of faith they set in the family. Man, I don't I don't know if with I don't know without God I don't know where my family would be. I don't know. But I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for God that my wife and I, we have, and her parents as well. We have great godly role models of how to build a family. And all that's just, you know, from, from the grace of God. You know, we could go on for hours about the things that God's done for us. We get a chance to live for him. It's a, it's a compelling force. It's a positive force, not a negative one. And so don't let Satan say, oh, Jesus, this is a guilt-ridden thing. No, this should inspire us. Compelling is a positive force. And it gives us a chance to live for him. You know, is there anything else in your life that's so incredible that's as as awesome as this? Is there anything else you can think of as beautiful as this, as Jesus and his death? Is your romantic interest as incredible? Your job? What is more incredible than this? Your school? You know, what is so awe-inspiring about your life? What else gives you that feeling of being overwhelmed? What else makes you feel confident, but also vulnerable? That's a weird combination, but Christ allows it. I'm confident, but I'm vulnerable. That's crazy. No one else has that. Usually it's one or the other. Yeah. Arrogant, or um, woe is me. I'm the worst, right? What else is so powerful? What do you give your life to other than the sun? Around who does your life orbit? Around what does your life orbit? Just take last week, if that's an overwhelming question. Around what did your life orbit last week? What did you do and why? Well, who did you give your heart to and why? Who did you give your time to and why? Was it Jesus? Was it the Lord? Or was it something else? You know, what do we give our lives to? That girl, that guy, our kids? An exercise routine we give our hearts to? You know, what is the other planet that we're orbiting around and why? Because there really is only one true son. And church, I just want to give us one challenge, and it's not very practical. But it's the same challenge the scripture gives us, which is to live for him. Amen. In your parenting, live for him. In your marriage, live for him. In your friendships, live for Him. In your evangelism, live for Him. In your purity, live for Him. In your scheduling, live for Him. And if you've not yet decided to become a Christian, to die to your former way of life and to live for Christ, what are you waiting for? Is there anything more important, magnificent, or praiseworthy in the universe? Can you think of anything? And perhaps Isaac Watts explains it best in the final line of his song, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And I'll close with this. Isaac Watts writes, See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did air such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? were the whole re- whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small love so amazing so divine demands my soul my life my all amen and to god be the glory we stand up we're going to close with one final song